I did play it just a little bit too much. Oh, Judas Priest! <laughs> you won't hear us playing Judas Priest, but you will be hearing an entertaining sports show with myself, Frank, and David the Man of God Harris on WSUT's After Further Review, airing Saturdays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and throughout the week with our replay 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Toledo's only alternative in your on-campus radio station, 88.3 WXUT. Oh, Judas Priest! <laughs> Welcome back to 88.3 WCTs. After further review, I'm Derek Lawson here with David the Man of God Harris. We had to tape the show today because no one could do the show on Saturday. Obviously, Frank Vashner was busy with uh, work. David the Man and God Harris had something to do, so we kind of did a little recording in the home studio. But make sure you always check us out on WHUT's After Further Reviews podcast, podcast, excuse me, on uh, SoundCloud and on iTunes. Go to WHUT's After Further Review on uh, SoundCloud, and then also just after W, just after After Further Review on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to us, and every time we put up a new show, it actually pops up. Well, we've gotten down to the end of the world cup finally and we actually have kind of somewhat of a surprise in the final i'm sure a lot of people did not expect this to happen but as you know if you've been listening to 88.3 wts after further review we've been really saying this a lot about uh the, the soccer coverage basically that's that's me my thoughts but i think david's kind of enjoyed it a little bit but the surprise, David, is this. Croatia in the soccer finals versus the Wee Wee from France. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that a lot of people are surprised by Croatia just because of the expectation of having played literally one more match than France coming into this final with all the extra time and penalties. And so the expectation was that eventually Croatia's kind of willingness to kind of have that same energy as getting to the semifinals, in particular against England, a lot of people thought, okay, eventually tired legs will come. Tired legs, tired legs. And it just never happened. It seemed like Croatia just seemed to get better and control the game a lot more as the game progressed when you expected England to really take the game on by being the more well-rested team. What, I mean, once Spain lost to Russia and penalties, kind of that side of the bracket opened wide up, and Croatia were the better team kind of in each of their matchups. I think England, while they came out strong early on, kind of by about the half-hour mark on, you kind of saw Croatia getting into this game, England not being able to finish their chances. And Croatia were just overall the better side, just with the experience and the sheer really willpower to really take the game by the horn. And then France, again, once Belgium beat Brazil, that kind of opened the door a little bit for France to progress to this final. And there were actually some people who thought France would be in the final even if 
they would have had to face Brazil. And so that just goes to show the kind of the quality that France has. It was a comfortable victory against Belgium. Belgium really didn't have any kind of intensity or really any, gave any threat in the second half. And so it was more of a comfortable victory for France rather than a more of a workhorse kind of victory that Croatia had against England. So the fi- you get the final kind of a, a rematch of the 2016 European semifinal that France beat Croatia. And so uh, I fully expect, again, France to beat Croatia. Uh, I To give a final score would just kind of be going a little bit too further in terms of what to expect because this game could easily be a 3-2 or it could be a 1-0 kind of thing. So you just never know what football, but yeah. And then you have kind of on Saturday kind of the third-place game, which is about as meaningless as kind of, say, the AFC or NFC runner-ups playing each other or the Eastern Conference and Western Conference kind of runner-ups playing each other. Like, no one cares about the third-place game. Like, no one wants third No, oh, come on, David. So, you said people like to be watching this soccer. Why is it meaningless? I mean, in terms of kind of, kind of thinking in those same lines, or like when they had the, in the NCAA tournament, they had the third place game. Like we, you know, the goal at this point is if you are not in the World Cup final, yes, we love watching soccer, but most times in the third place game, it's basically all the players that haven't played up to this point, and it becomes a glorified kind of friendly or scrimmage match. Like no one wants to see that. Like after all these teams have gotten this far, literally kind of 90 minutes away from having a chance to play for the trophy, having that star on your chest, like to basically say, oh, we'll just run you out and play a third place. Like no one wants the bronze medal at the World Cup. Like they don't, no one remembers the third place winner. Like really in any sport other than the Olympic. And for some reason we still say, oh, you're bronze medalist Olympian. Like, like, no one's proud of that. And so it definitely carries over in terms of the World Cup. Like, no one's proud or celebrates winning or getting the third place kind of finish in the World Cup. And so I fully expect it to be kind of a game where, yeah, you may see one or two stars here, but for the most part, it's going to be reserves. Well, think about yeah, it. Why is the what's the point of playing the third place game if no one really likes it? There's got to be a reason why they play the third place game in the consolation game, David. I mean, it's it's money. Like it's money viewership ratings. Kind of FIFA loves that revenue and gets butts in the stands for one big payday before the final. So I mean, it's like with anything, like any sport where it's a consolation game, like they're doing it for the money, the TV rights. It's they're already here at Dolomite for ninety minutes, and so you get that with a lot of sports. But yeah, I, I think if I mean I'm probably going to watch it just if I watch it. I mean, kind of glance at a little bit here and there. So I'm not going to sit down and actually watch the third place game because that's just going to be bad football, like for a lot of reasons. So. But I expect it to be, you know, the reserves. You may see one or two exciting plays. But 
all eyes are going to be on the final on Sunday, which here in the States is 11 a.m. Eastern. So kind of think of it similar to when the NFL London game, those early morning on Sundays due to kind of the time difference conversation. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the game that everyone is looking forward to at this stage. So, but it's been a fun tournament. It's been exciting. We've had the storylines. We've had kind of the surprises, whether surprises in terms of who's advanced deep in the tournament and who's made excellent runs versus the team. Well, well, well name some What have, have been some good storylines? Because remember, it, it's been upsets. But what really has been some good storylines in this World Cup this year? Well, for one, even though they have lost to Croatia, England was a great story. This was the deepest that the team has been in 28 years with a side that really wasn't expected to get to this point because they're so young. You have kind of the Russian side, home soil, kind of the home team, who, again, no one thought that they would even get out of the group stage. But then they have probably the shock result of the tournament beating Spain in the knockout. You have, in terms of the upset side, you have Belgium beating Brazil, which result not a lot of people expected. You have Germany not advancing out of the group stage, which shocked pretty much everyone. And so kind of, I really think the story of the tournament has been the results of the quote-unquote big countries, kind of the countries that everyone coming into the tournament, you expect it to be kind of the right end quarter-finalists, at least, possibly semi-finalists and even finalists. And really, France is, the, in terms of the big teams that were expected to make deep runs, France is really the last country standing. And that goes to solid play from goalkeeping to defense to midfield to the surprises that we've seen from the attacking players. And so it's kind of been a well-rounded, all-around great performance. And so, yeah, I would say the storylines are the upset, kind of the small countries, and kind of teams exceeding or not exceeding expectations would be kind of the three main point, three biggest storylines. Yeah, I would, I would, I would actually kind of agree with you on that one, David. Uh, well, do you think the final garner a lot of uh, eyeballs, even though it's just a World Cup and? I know you you wanted to save your predictions for basically this week, but I'll, I'll ask you this before you get to your real your predictions for the final. Is this a World Cup that you expected? Was this really an exciting World Cup for you personally? Personally, I would say yeah, because this was the first World Cup that I was able to really watch. I would say ninety five percent watch or listen to kind of all but one match up to this point. And so being able to... Which match did you miss? What match did you miss? I missed the Argentina-Nigeria match. Whoa, how'd you miss that one? was the last round of the group stage. Just kind of working, being in a meeting, and I wasn't able to listen to at least kind of the radio feed of the Fox broadcast, which trying to listen to a football match on the radio that's also being aired on TV, 
kind of like listening. It's not even listening to football or baseball. It's just wildly different. It's kind of like listening to hockey on the radio. Like, unless you see this kind of the movements of everyone, it, it's difficult to really see. But kind of in real time, listening to the radio and then watching matches on replay, kind of actually knowing the results, kind of, that helps a little bit. But yeah, I'll say personally, kind of seeing the excitement from a lot of different countries and watching the storyline and kind of being able to follow certain teams, a certain or the way certain teams have been playing or were advancing or looking, and then really being able to not break down kind of like the tournament or like kind of a bracket buster, but really getting to know some of these countries and a lot of these players that have made a big name or a bigger name through this tournament that are, as a result of this tournament, going to get a huge payday or get a someone calling them and like, hey, we want you at a bigger name club. And so you always hear about the World Cup being, uh, there's always one or two players that coming into the World Cup you don't know about, but coming out of the World Cup, they're making, or they're signing contracts for $20, $30 million a year, kind of something like that. And so you kind of, kind of get a little bit of that every year, but I think this year in particular, looking at some of the smaller clubs or smaller countries in particular and finding the young stars that are 18, 19, 20-year-old and seeing, okay, this is how great they are on a global stage against the world's best, kind of thinking about their upside and the potential that they have so that by the time 2022 comes around, if their country is qualified, just kind of seeing how much further these countries can go. And so that's always, for me personally, always a good thing to see and kind of keep track of. Yeah, I, I figured though this year though this though the, do you think though to advance I guess soccer in the United States was it crucial for them to be in the World Cup this year? I mean, obviously United soccer has grown in the United States and also around the world they call it football, but we call it soccer because we have like American football. But sometimes you know being in the World Cup can help the the sport grow in a certain country. Do you think that maybe if the United States was in the World Cup this year, it would really help it? Or being out of it has helped it a little bit more, so now we have a focus where, you know, there's things that we need to improve on as a country in the in the sport of soccer. Yeah, I, I think it's more of that latter point, knowing that kind of not being in the World Cup forces everyone to regroup and really reanalyze the process of in terms of development, in terms of who is coming into the system, who's staying in the system, who are the young talent that this time around were our 18, 19, 20-year-olds that looking at other countries and seeing that kind of young crop, who are our young crop, and we kind of know those names. And for those that watch the France-U.S. friendly coming into the World Cup, kind of that core group that we saw against France in that friendly is kind of our team that we'll see most likely in 2022 and that definitely in 2026 kind of those 18, 19, 20 year olds. And kind of, I think not being in the World Cup really calls us to really look at 
development and starting from scratch. And so I was listening to a conversation that Lyndon Donovan had earlier today and kind of talking about, you know, for a lot of these other countries, yes, kind of at a young age, you see everyone kind of kicking around soccer ball just for fun or in soccer class. But by the time they're, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, whereas in these other countries, it's, you know, they're being signed to youth academies and kind of being placed in a system so that they're already getting eyes on or getting kind of world-class lead training at some of these bigger-name clubs for kind of these big countries or these starless clubs. Here in the United States, it's, okay, you're having to pay for all this coaching, and it can get expensive, and we've talked about the expenses before. But then it's also kind of by the time you're 15, 16, you know, all these other countries, they're 15, 16, 17-year-olds are already potentially playing kind of youth academy soccer or playing first-team soccer and getting paid for it in certain cases, kind of depending on the level that you're at. Whereas kind of if you're playing soccer, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that's middle school, high school soccer. And so, like, yes, you can have, like, club soccer on the side or in the summer, but you're primarily focused on a high school. So we're already, in many regards, kind of behind the eight ball on that. So now I'm not saying we need to abolish high school soccer and college soccer and allow these kids to kind of apply their trade in a club academy or youth or an MLS academy side so that we can kind of get to a European model or a Mexican model. But it does, I think, for the first time in a while, and the U.S. Soccer, Soccer Federation is really contemplating exploring the idea of what's the benefit for kind of producing homegrown talent that comes through the ranks of kind of middle school, high school, going off to college, draft, versus, hey, by the time you're college age, let's get you playing and having experience playing professional football. Because at 18, 19, 20, you know, most of the guys that we're seeing at the World Cup, they're already playing regular football. They're playing week in, week out. They're getting world-class training. They're making, you know, $20,000, $25,000 a week because this is their profession now. And so kind of, there's a lot of ways that in the next four years there'll probably be a lot of exploration and tinkering with that to see how we can improve kind of both the domestic product in terms of growing the talent, but then also making sure that we don't lose the peak years or the prime years of the talent kind of applying it not at the professional level. And so will that hurt MLS to a certain extent? Probably, but I think in the long term, it will strengthen the quality of the product of American soccer as a whole. So now what are your predictions for the uh, the final on Sunday? I think France is the betting line favorite over Croatia. I think the the biggest storyline for me is going to be the battle of the midfield position. And so you have kind of for France, you have N'Golo Conte and Paul Pogba, who 
when those two play together, France has never lost uh, in any kind of European competitive match versus kind of the veteran experience of Luka Modric in particular. I think he'll play next alongside Rodovic in a similar way to how they played against England in the midfield. But I think just France has a little bit too much in terms of overall quality, especially in defense. And I think we've seen kind of the vulnerability from Croatia's defense throughout this tournament. It was highlighted a little bit in the England match, even though England were unable to capitalize on their chances. And I think France will lift the World Cup. If I had to put a score on it, I would say 2-1. And But I think it will be a lot more dominant in terms of France dominating the game rather than the final score will suggest. I just have that expectation. But, again, throughout this tournament, we've seen kind of those teams that we expect to win kind of drop the ball, the slip up, but the World Cup final, you expect the stars to come out in the full force. And I think the French stars will have just a little bit too much for Croatia. Uh, so Croatia looks like they'll uh, be having a little bit of a, a downfall or a little bit of some tears, huh? Yeah, and this is kind of the end of Croatia's golden generation. A lot of people thought Croatia has a strong chance, especially after Spain, to make it to the World Cup final. But I just think I think it goes to the kind of thing we see it in some sports versus kind of the veteran team versus kind of the young upstarts. The young guns, and I'm not saying the whole of France is a young upstart, but the kind of the key players, they're in their mid-20s, you know, early to mid-20s, the core of them, versus kind of Croatia where they're a lot older, late 20s, in their 30s. And so I think that combined with eventually having to play another match on the body gets to you. I, I, I think eventually this will be kind of the final straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of Croatia not being able to bounce back in the same way that they've had throughout the knockout round. But I, I expect a pretty good match between these two sides. But I, I still think France will win. Ah, oh, nice. And you just are a little bit of snoring. But we got to get on out of this segment, though. Uh, David, but thanks again for the World Cup coverage. France and Croatia on Sunday at 11 a.m. So you can get on up. Now, you know Wimbledon is on at that same time, too, uh, uh, David. I mean, now that's the snore fan. No, no, no. You know that <laughs> Wimbledon is always. Now, Fredder is out of it, but, you know, Serena Williams is going for a championship. But that'll be uh, on Saturday morning. I think she'll probably have the championship if she wins. By the time this show uh, airs. Anyway, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we return, David, we talk a little bit of NBA Summer League and some free agency. Summer League, everyone's talking about Summer League, but it's just Summer League. We'll have that. Yeah, but, you know, who's, who benefits the most from the Summer League? Uh, a bunch of no-name guys. And I was going to try to talk to Darren Cohn, the coach. We couldn't link up, and he's been a—he's a busy, busy guy during this time of the year. Anyway, me and David will review a little bit of NBA Summer League. That and more here on eighty-eight point three WXUT. We'll be back after this. <laughs> 